and welcome to the Girl Tries Life podcast where we give you tangible, actionable tips to help you lead your best life. And we include interviews with real women who are doing fascinating things. Now, I'm going to start off from the very beginning saying I apologize so much for my voice, you guys. I've been sick for about two weeks. I've had strep throat followed by a cold and this congestion is just not going away. I totally appreciate that that is miserable to listen to, but rest assured the actual interview itself, I did not sound completely clogged. That said, today's interview is a really exciting one. We've got Lourdes Juan, who is... To know Lourdes is to know a busy person. She is the owner of Soma Spa. She is the founder of the Leftovers Foundation. And she is also has her own urban planning consulting firm. So to say she's busy is, you know, to put it mildly. She's also been recognized as one of Calgary's top 40 under 40. And she's just someone that's really well known in the city of Calgary. So I was very excited to interview Lourdes. And she is the most kind and generous person that you will meet. It was hilarious when we sat down together. She said, I've done one podcast before and I ended up dating the guy. So, (laughs) and she's still with this gentleman today. And uh, so she said, so you and I aren't going to date, but we'll probably still know each other afterwards. So Lourdes and I are not dating. We can say that for sure. (laughs) But she was a fantastic interview. So I don't just talk to Lourdes about how busy of a person that she is, but I talked to her about where the inspiration for her different businesses came from, as well as her commitment to community and volunteering. She talks about how she maximizes her productivity, how she themes her days, where she gets her inspiration from, partnerships that are coming up. And she talks about uh, what she's learned as a manager and in terms of coordinating people. We talk about her favorite books, her favorite quotes, and all around, I was, I pretty much left that interview feeling like, if there are things that I want to do in this world, I can 100% make them happen, because Lourdes does as well. So without further ado, let's head over to the interview. So thank you so much, Lourdes, for joining. Is Sorry, okay. Is it Lourdes? Lourdes. Lourdes. Yes. Lourdes. Lourdes. Okay. Yes. It's Perfect. a French city. Um, yeah. Which is pronounced Lourdes. Yeah. But we are, um, my background is Filipino and my dad's uh, mom's family and my grandma is from Spain. And so we pronounce okay. it Lourdes. Perfect. I hate yes. mispronouncing people's no, names. No, it's so, okay. Lourdes. So you do a million and one things, as we've talked about in your intro. I'm mm-hmm. hoping we can we can start with Leftovers sure. YYC. Where did the idea come from first? So the Leftovers Foundation started in 2012. My cousin was picking up bread for his church just at a local bakery yeah. at one of the Cobb's Bread franchises. And um, they have this really great program. It's the end of day giving program. So they ask charities to come pick up their excess bread at the end of the day. And it, typically it's a lot of bread because they like to keep their shelves fairly stocked. Consumers like to buy from a full shelf rather than seeing the odd one out. And so we had picked up from there and it was about it was between 150 to 200 pounds of bread, which Holy. is a truckload <laughs> full of bread. And I was shocked. I had no idea that that would have gone to, into the you know, landfill if we weren't there. So he took part of it to his church and the rest, we were kind of like, where do we take this stuff? So we just took it to the drop-in. It was the only place that I knew of, hoping that they would take 
food and hoping they would take food at 9 p.m. at night. Yeah. So we got to the loaning dock and the gentleman that greeted us, the, the DI has amazing staff. And, you know, he, he let us know that, you know, he's really grateful for the donation and that it would be sort of um, used up by the next day. Yeah. Because uh, the drop-in serves 3,000 meals a day, which yeah. I thought was crazy. And that's not include sort of bagged lunches and all, you know, their other programming. So I thought that was pretty incredible. And that night I went sort of down this uh, rabbit hole of research online about food waste and if we do in fact, you know, how much food do we throw out? And it turns out it's a global problem. And, um, you know, we know food insecurity is a global problem. I didn't know that's what it was called, but that's what I started researching and it kind of led me down this down this path. And so, sorry, that was just from one day, that amount that you had? Yes. Holy, yes. that's insanity. I know, it's yeah. crazy. And so how did you start, I mean, it, first of all, it blows my mind that this kind of program didn't exist before because it seems to make so much sense. Like you saw a gap that was there, but mm-hmm. how did you go about getting it started? Starting a nonprofit seems yeah, a daunting task. Absolutely. So I actually had no idea what I was doing <laughs> for the first little bit. I was going to pick up the bread and I was going to call all the different bakers and, you know, local grocery stores that I knew. I'm a business owner myself, so I felt like I could relate to other business owners just, you know, kind of chatting to them about what they do with their excess food. So I did that and that kind of spread into my family helping me out who they still volunteer to yeah. this day. I actually just texted my aunt today, can you please help me <laughs> pick up this bread? We just had a volunteer back out of um, one of the shifts and so yeah. my family's been really, really supportive. So I started um, just talking to local business owners and you know they don't want to see the food thrown out either. Chefs and bakers, they you know put their time and effort and talent into the food yeah. and if it doesn't sell or if it is still at but not marketable they either compost it or throw it in the garbage but there's there's no reason um, if it's still good food and so it was just me sort of calling around and then we got some really great media coverage um, from the Calgary Herald and uh, just because of what we were doing and I was you know late at night on my Excel uh, document trying to organized these volunteers that kept emailing and really wanted to be involved and from there we kind of grew it and we we still continue to grow the vendor base and grow the volunteers and the service agencies simultaneously. So how much food are you picking up and donating on a daily basis now? So it's different day to day. We are uh, seven days a week is um, what our volunteers pick up. Fridays we have I think 14 shifts, Saturdays we have six shifts. Throughout the week, we're doing about 3,000 pounds as an estimate a week in Calgary, and we've just brought Edmonton on board, and that's another sort of two to 300 pounds. So it's difficult to track metrics um, with something like this, but we do our best, and that's sort of a conservative number that we work with. That's incredible. Thank you. So what is your advice for people who are wanting to do something similar like this in their own city? Um, Start a nonprofit, or? I I almost think doing what you're doing with leftovers. Like, I think there's a huge gap in most cities. So if someone listens to this and is like, that needs to happen in my city, what would you Absolutely, yeah. So the first things, and I sort of did everything backwards because I was picking up food and, you know, didn't really look at the regulations. But the first thing to do would be to look at the regulations. Every province should have something equivalent to a Charitable Food Donation Act. And that basically sets out your guidelines and policies of 
what you can pick up, any liability issues. Uh, and then I would call your local health board. So Alberta Health Services, we have a contact there that we talk to just to make sure that the food we are picking up, we're transporting it properly. Okay. There is no um, sorting facility that Leftovers has. We basically go from the vendor to the service agency all in one route. So it's very direct and it's all under 20 minutes or we try to have it under 20 minutes. And that's sort of the good um, transport guideline to transport food. So I would definitely check out the regulations. It's for us, we've been really, really lucky. We haven't had a lot of pushback from from vendors or service agencies. Uh, It is such a huge need. Food prices are, they fluctuate. Sometimes they're, I think they're down by 12% now from last year, but uh, 2016 and 2015, they were up 16% from the years before. So, um, you know, food budgets for service agencies are certainly something that, you know, we want to alleviate. So you'll, you know, if you want to start this in your own city, you'll likely get service agencies on board. It's an operational dream for someone who loves organizing things. So, you know, curate the food so that it does get used up and um, talk to your local bakery. I think that's a great place to start. Calgary's really, really great for that where we have this wonderful entrepreneurial climate where people want to support each other. And um, I think just having a conversation with them and just saying what you're doing and, you know, the, the, the problem that you want to solve, I think would would be a really good place to start. Yeah. That's incredible that you've expanded to Edmonton. Yes, yes. Some days I think too quickly, but that's okay. <laughs> well, and so that's int- so where did this passion for community come from? Um, you know, I've always loved volunteering. I love talking to people. That's like if I if I could spend my entire day doing something and probably be just chatting over food or tea or coffee. And so I remember my first volunteer experience was with the Children's Hospital. And I remember calling them and I couldn't volunteer until I was 16, I think. And I was 14 at the time. And I just remember waiting for like two years of when I could start volunteering at the Children's Hospital. And it was uh, when I eventually did get to do that, it was a phenomenal experience. Um, I was able to interact with sick children in the... um, in the palliative ward, you have to have some thick skin volunteering and working there. But that was sort of my first intro into volunteering. And I don't know about anyone else, but I certainly, you know, got addicted to it. And throughout high school and university, I was always working kind of through high school and then through university. I joined the Filipino Students Association with the UFC, which is a students union club, and that's all volunteer work. And I just, I feel like you meet your best friends doing something that you, and I have met my best friends doing something and being part of this like-minded community groups, cultural groups. So I've sort of carried that through. Yeah. Is this something that was also really important in your family growing up? You know what? I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I remember my, my grandparents and my parents, you know, always you know, ragging on us to finish our food and that people in the Philippines don't have this food and, you know, that there was always this, this, I guess, voice in the back of my head, but I never really, you know, thought, well, I'm going to take this now and, and scale it. That sort of just happened from a really grassroots approach with the support of all our volunteers and everyone that's been part of this uh, leftovers journey. Yeah. Sorry, you're just blowing my mind right now. <laughs> We're going to switch gears a little bit and talk about entrepreneurship because you really, I mean, sure. you really are an entrepreneur at heart with 
soma and hive and leftovers. So soma is pretty unique in Calgary in that it's the only spa salon that has a hammam. That's right. Am I saying yes. hammam? Right? Hammam. Yeah, okay, it's a hammam. Yeah. So like, where did where did that come from? Is this? So I um I had a really great opportunity when I was nineteen. I started working at a medical aesthetic clinic. And it was very injectable based, so a lot of cosmetic injections. And I just worked the front desk, and then I was trying to pay my way through university. And so I became medically certified um, just for medical aesthetics, um, using laser technology for cosmetic purposes. And so I, and I sort of uh, grew my role there into, you know, a, a, a laser technician and then a manager. And I really love organizing and so I was really able to compartmentalize what I was doing with school and then with work because I was also working at the architecture firm and I through the the journey with the uh, with the medical aesthetic clinic she did very well the the owner of the clinic and so we were able to travel with one of our product lines to because we were I think one of the top sellers um, of this particular skincare line uh, we were able to travel to Turkey and see sort of where the spa world began. And the hammam was this incredible experience in Turkey. And anyone who's ever had a hammam in Turkey can attest to this, but it is sort of the most daunting and the most um, invigorating spa experience that you'll get. It's not like how we think of the spa here, which is very quiet time and relaxing and very soft and gentle. In Turkey, the hammam experience is, you know, we want to scrub the demons right out of you. (laughs) (laughs) And so I did a hammam experience there. I had researched it and I was super excited to go. So I booked a couple of hammam treatments and it was, it was invigorating. I mean, they, they really, you know, touch every nook and cranny (laughs) of your body and make sure that um, you are cleansed and that, you know, you feel rejuvenated and... I had been to many spas after that through, you know, body wraps and hot stone massages and all these things, and I hadn't been able to replicate that experience. And so when Soma started in downtown, we didn't have a hammam. We were in a historical building, and it was always in the back of my mind. And when we had moved into the Marriott Hotel in Seaton, it was definitely something that I wanted to bring to life. So. Yeah had to be patient for a long time yeah. between my turkey experience in 2000 and uh, I guess six or five yeah. and then you know I guess 10 12 years later opening yeah. up my own hammam which is not as aggressive <laughs> we've modified it but it is still a really great invigorating spa treatment yeah I really want to try it you have to come. figure it out <laughs> yeah that's great so what was it like the Soma was your first business? Yeah, so in 2010, I don't know what was in the air, but I incorporated Soma in, or I incorporated actually my development consulting company in May, and then I had incorporated Soma in August. Okay, So they were just a few months apart. And then within sort of a year, I had the, the location downtown up and running, and then I was doing consulting work as well. Yeah. How were you managing that? Um, like the right people in place? Not as well as I am now. Okay. <laughs> it was difficult. It was really difficult thinking that I could take it all on. I was used to just working out of my home. So Soma started 
in my home, and it was actually called Calgary Cosmetic Clinic, and I, you know, this very stale name that I didn't have too much creativity behind it, but I know I wanted to open it. So um, it started in my home, and all I had to do was manage myself and my expectations and my time. And then when my brother-in-law and my sister wanted to go into business together and expand, we, you know, started to do the branding exercises and started building a staff, and it was definitely more than I could have imagined to take on. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And so what have you, what have you learned and what have you changed over that time period? Yeah, that's a really good question. So Soma has been probably the most, um, it's, it's definitely been the business with the most amount of challenges and it certainly has been the most amount of learning experiences for me. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as I love talking to people and being around people. I'm a, you know, a people-oriented person. Building a team is something completely different. And I think I used to hire based off of potential. Uh, and I and I don't do that anymore. I oh. make sure I hire based on their skill set. And so I think hiring based off of someone's potential, especially in a startup um, phase, it was it was difficult because people weren't at the level of expectation that I was hoping for, and so you know we ran across a lot of HR issues, which I think every small business runs into. Mm-hmm. You learn how to be a manager of people, you learn how to manage their expectations and um, their personalities, not only with yourself as a boss but with the other team, yeah. and that is. You know, I guess why big corporations have HR departments. <laughs> yeah. And I certainly learned that the hard way. Yeah. And uh, yeah, but it was all part of the, the experience. And I, I think I'm a better, I'm a better person because of it, but certainly um, a better leader, I think. Yeah. How big is the team now? So we have, I think, eight people now yeah. at Soma. And then at the um, development company, it's myself, and I have a planner that works with me. Yeah. Um, luckily, my sister's an architect, so she helps to facilitate some of the drawings for yeah. us. And then the leftovers team is uh, large. So it's nine people on my exec team, 10 people on my board, and then 150-ish volunteers on an annual basis. Wow. So talk to me a little bit about Hive. And sorry, that... That is now the same thing as LMJ? Yes. Or it, so it's just rebranded? <laughs> That's right. Okay. Yeah. So LMJ Consultants is my full name, Lourdes Mercedes yeah. Juan. But when I started it, um, I had gone sort of into a partnership with my mentor. So I had worked at an architecture firm. I got my first job when I was 14, which is why when I was volunteering for the Children's Hospital, I'm like, I've been working for two years. Why yeah. won't you let me hang out with kids all day? Um <laughs> I did this co-op program through Bishop Carroll, which is a self-directed study high school. So there's no classes, um, there's teachers and you can approach them when you sort of need help with your units or your assignments. So I was able to, you know, go to the counselor there and say, I, I want more out of my high school experience and I really want to work and I think I want to be an architect, but I'm not too sure. Now, I, I don't want to be an architect, yeah. <laughs> I never pursued you know, architecture, but I I did pursue urban planning, which is sort of architecture on a macro scale. And so when I started um, at the architecture firm when I was 14, I was sort of gluing, you know, carpet samples and tile on a foam core. (laughs) And 
using the ammonia printer to do blueprints and all that stuff, but they kept me there um, until I was I, I, 10, 12 years or something. I'd stayed there with them the entire time, on and off, working summers or whenever they had work for me, yeah. which was a fantastic experience. And so they eventually got bought out by a construction company and that construction company wanted to just focus on construction and not so much the urban planning um, and design work and that's sort of the work that I was doing and that was the work that um, I had gone to school for yeah. and so they did offer sort of me to stay as a project manager for construction but I just I wouldn't have been used to them and I knew that and it it wasn't what I wanted to do. I, I really do have a, pl- a passion for urban planning and, you know, creating great cities and, and all the mechanisms that we need to do in terms of policy and design that facilitate that. So I just bit the bullet and with my mentor who had his company, he said, well, why don't we, you know, make this exit, negotiate our clients, and then we can do this together. So that's sort of why LMJ Consultants opened up and his was under his name so I just was copying him. (laughs) (laughs) So years later, um, this is our seventh year, uh, we've decided to rebrand and not have it uh, so much under under my name. There's a lot of consultants that we use. Um, So Hive Developments is sort of a play on that, is that it takes sort of a hive of the different roles and you know, worker bees um, to make something happen. Uh, So we're just going through that rebrand now. It's a slow process. It's happening. That's awesome. So how do you mentally compartmentalize the different businesses or do you? Sorry, not all businesses, but... Yeah, um, I, I do to some extent. I mean, I think what I do at a high level is the same in every business. So I just apply you know, my skill set to the different ventures. So I I do think what I do is the same, but the day-to-day stuff that needs to get done is all different. So this morning I'm, you know, running around and I'm checking emails first thing in the morning, getting back to everyone who's up past midnight that sends me emails, which isn't me. I have an early bedtime. And then I hit the road and I'm... um, Picking up food first thing in the morning, that's sort of what I like to do. I like to be on that ground level. I love seeing smiles at the service agency and I love picking up from vendors and thanking them. And so I do that and then, you know, part of my day and then I head to the office downtown or I head to the spa. So I'm I'm fairly good with compartmentalizing my days and I can't remember where I read that. I think it was a Fast Company article that had talked about how successful people or busy people that do multiple ventures, how they um, compartmentalize their life. And they really theme their days. So mm-hmm. Monday's about business development, Thursdays are about finance. And you know, if other stuff is creeping into those days, you have to say, no, you know, I deal with this on, on Thursday. Because if you don't, you have so much on your plate and yeah. it gets overwhelming and then it does the opposite effect. Of yeah. I just want to crawl into bed and cover my Yeah, well, and it's funny because I'm reading Deep Work right now by okay. Cal Newport. Have you read it? No, I haven't. So he very much talks about how if you try and do too many things at once, he, he does talk about sort of theming things and having time to do that deep work to really process mm-hmm. and be the most productive and how if you throw everything in together just the distraction and like he calls it attention residue that your attention stays with the previous item and it actually has a negative effect so it sounds like you've got that figured out and I think you know there's all this noise that can happen if you're not focused on that one thing and then you're just not giving that proper attention and 
I used to do that and I, you know, I, I still say I, I multitask. I don't yeah. think I can get away from that, but I certainly try to as much as possible. Um, if I'm doing one task, I am just sticking to that one task. And I remember that was something that my professor, my supervisor for my thesis was, was telling me when I was doing my master's. He yeah. said, because I was working full time and writing my thesis at night and on weekends. And he said, you need to take vacation time. Yeah. Like, just take your vacation time to do this. Because if you don't, like, you need the sort of block of three days. So take off a Friday and power through all weekend. And at the time, you know, I was like, no, I can do it all. And, you know, I'm fine. After five o'clock, I'm pumped. I can, you know, go home and write. But the content and the quality of what I was writing just wasn't there. And once I started to implement, you know, what he was um, telling me to do, it was, you know, night and day. Yeah. (laughs) Crazy. So do you have a personal mission or a set of values that kind of brings everything together? I do. I, I try to lead by example. You know, I, I wouldn't tell somebody to do something that I wouldn't do. And so, you know, even at the spa to this day, if we're double booked and we want to book a party and the girls are busy, I will pop in there and do a treatment. I will go pick up food. I will, you know, go see a client for for a development consulting client. So I really do and I really want to lead by example. That's something that I'm always cognizant of is that I just don't want to be somebody who tells everyone what to do. I want to do it with them and be there and, you know, try to try to lead by example as much as possible. Yeah. I like to say that I have a fairly good work-life balance. I don't I think work-life balance is a myth. Yeah, but that's just me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I honestly don't see the my day-to-day and what I do with these ventures as work because yeah. it's it's so fulfilling and it's so you know great to to facilitate this type of work and I've been really fortunate to be able to do that. So it's not work when I go you know pick up food. Yeah. Um, I don't say oh you know darn it I have to go pick up food for in from the cold today shucks it's like wow I get to pick up food (laughs) and I get really excited about that and I get really excited about that with all the ventures and I think um you know once you're not excited about something then you need to take a good hard look at what you're doing and make sure that that changes is there a next big dream that you figured out or are you just um riding along yeah (laughs) coasting is not the right word but like grooving figuring Um, out yeah, I, I think I think with me, you know, I have a lot of ideas and that is a blessing and a curse because I want to be able to do everything and progress change and, you know, there's so many things that, that I want to do and change and be a part of. I have a lot of ideas of the next big thing of what I want to do in each venture. Mm-hmm. Um, I say I think some of the ventures just need to play themselves out and... and and ride it out a bit so yeah. that we can generate sustainability, which I think actually for all three ventures we need to do for the next little bit. But with Leftovers, we've made some pretty amazing partnerships and I wanna be able to scale that organization. I think it is the most scalable out of all the three because of the amount of people power that's sort of um, behind it. Um, we just partnered with the Calgary Stampede, so we will, be picking up from the grounds and from Stampede Breakfast, which we sort of did last year, but very informally. We sort of piggybacked onto yeah. 
a company called Do It Green who was just nice enough to invite us Mm -hmm. um, to come pick up from the Stampede. But the Huffington Post wrote an article that they didn't interview me for, so I kind of... I I picked up from the midway on the 10th day of Stampede, got home at 4 in the morning, and then when I woke up at 8 in the morning, there was a Huffington Post article that I had no idea what they were doing. So it was kind of funny that that was shared, and that's how the Stampede formally heard of us, was that I was there sneaking around with a bunch of volunteers, picking up mini donuts. So, you know, there are big things that are happening within each venture um, that, you know, we'd like to, uh, that I'd like to grow. In terms of, you know, the next big creative thing or where I'm going in my career, I don't know what that looks like yet. I I was just appointed to Calgary Planning Commission, which is a sort of a developing development authority for some development in Calgary and it sort of counsels recommendation arm for urban design and and development and I really love that work and I'd like to see where that takes me but um, other than that I'm not too certain. You're pretty busy. (laughs) Is there anything that you do that's just for yourself that is not in service of anyone else that is purely self-care enjoyment? Yeah absolutely. Um I am, I'm pretty bad with, uh, like, going down that rabbit hole of funny YouTube videos or funny (laughs) Instagram videos, and honestly, like, I feel like laughter is part of my self-care, so I, I do, I do have those sort of guilty pleasures. I don't go to the spa as much as I'd like to, although it is I guess it feels like work as well, yeah. Yeah, just because when I'm there, there's so many things that I nitpick and that I want to do, and so I don't fully feel relaxed. My partner and I do take off some weekends, and we explore um, abandoned Alberta, which is kind of a strange and zany pastime. But um, we bought a drone, and he has a vlog, and he's got some camera equipment, and so we take that out to... Oh, we can totally link to that. Yeah, that yeah. would be awesome. We um, we travel to um, small town Alberta, where uh, there's not a lot of people, so it's... Um, and there's a lot of really... The people that are there are really funny characters, and so we get to yeah. chat with, um, with Albertans and um, enjoy the peace and quiet in the small town, so... That's awesome. Yeah. We're going to kind of start wrapping up, and I've got five questions that we always finish with. So what, I mean, you've kind of touched on this, but what are the projects, the things that get you really fired up and excited? Yeah, I think generally those projects are always about um, change, and they're always about, you know, making our city better, making our world better, and making me better as a person so I do I do love projects that facilitate that you know with leftovers we are trying to change the way we think about food systems it's not just about the redirection it's about looking at policies and we're working with the University of Calgary's public policy school on as to you know how we can affect policies and and change um, the way we look at our food systems you know, hopefully regulate that grocery stores don't throw out food and maybe, you know, hopefully there's a bunch of social enterprises that come out of it and say, you know, we want to open our first, you know, no garbage grocery store where we, you know, pick up all the quote unquote ugly fruits and vegetables and sell them at a discount. And I think there's lots of ideas around that, lots of really fun um, social enterprise ideas around that change. So I just think it's anything to do with, um, change and 
it really gets me fired up, which is why I love urban planning so much, because yeah. cities are constantly changing, and we constantly need to think about how we can build better and do better. So that's sort of my... Oh, I just want to add on yes. here. Are you wanting to do maybe a little shout out for volunteer? Like, are you guys looking for volunteers? Oh yes, for leftovers? all the time. Yes, of course. Maybe if you want to chat to our listeners about what that volunteer opportunity looks sure, like. Sure. Yeah. And because um, I'm inspired to volunteer. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Volunteering for leftovers is really simple. So we we have the schedule all online. So I have a fantastic operations team that keeps on top of that. They're far better at computers than I am. Um, but we input everything online. So the schedule is set out three months in advance. It's it's about 60 to 70% filled, um, but we do always have those last minute pickups. Volunteering looks like going to a vendor, telling them you're from leftovers, picking up their excess, and then driving it to the service agency that's sort of listed on that schedule times are really flexible. We have a lot of moms that um, can tr- that can volunteer because it's something that's kid friendly and oh my gosh, um, yeah. So it is a really fun opportunity and it's it's at your own pace. There are some routes that need to get picked up at a certain time, but most of them are are at your own pace. We are just about to launch a partnership with Uber um, and you're the first to know. Oh my gosh. So are the listeners, I guess, but um, Uber will be donating hours to us, so if you don't have a vehicle or if you are weary of driving in the winter, um, an Uber will come pick you up, bring you to the vendor of the service agency and drive you back home, and that entire ride is complimentary from Uber. So we're trying to make volunteering really easy. Our exec team, we're always kind of looking for members at events Mm -hmm. um, and to just help spread the word. Yeah, volunteering is, uh, I think, and you know my philosophy about it is that it should be really easy and it should be you know about something that makes a difference so yeah you understand partnerships like you bring the right (laughs) people together this is incredible so what is the most inspirational book that you've read in the past few years past few years i don't think it's anything that maybe other people would find inspiring i have read um i think it's called you are a badass jen sincero heard of it yeah it's a it's a fun little book um it's a really easy read so that's a really great kind of inspiring you can do it book i i actually just was reading um lean in by cheryl sandberg i read that a couple years ago but the books that really inspire me and this is this may not resonate with many people but um are like i've read kelly oxford books and i've read um mindy kaling's books and i think these are you know really comedic really funny women that aren't afraid to show vulnerability whether if it's a failure or if they felt marginalized and i think sharing that story through humor and just putting it all out there and not caring what people think I think that's inspirational, and I think they're they're really funny. So I'll even go back and read certain chapters um, or yeah. certain excerpts because I just think that it's it's a hilarious, a hilarious read. And I, I kill two birds with one stone because I sort of get this inspiration from them to be brave and speak my mind, and but I also um, get to laugh a lot. No, that's great. Yeah, I was just finishing Bossy Pants, and I'm oh, in the middle I of Yes, read Please. That one. So here's the key I actually found with those 
Bossy Pants and Yes Please. Get and them that's, on audiobook. Um, Amy, Amy Poehler. Yeah, that's right. Get them on audiobook because they both read them. Oh, and I think it sounds so idea. much better in their voice. And if you're driving all the time, I like am, it was the same yeah. for me. I'm like, I want to fit more reading in, but at the end of the day, I'm so tired. Awesome. So, <laughs> I'm going to do like, that. Yeah. Such a good idea. Yeah, no. And the library app, if you don't have it. Is I do. I just downloaded it. Because you can pause, this is totally an aside for our listeners, but you can like pause, hold, like hold books. And then if you're not ready for them yet, because I book too many at once, you just pause them and then release them when you're ready to read them. Like it's awesome. That's so funny. I actually just got a library card (laughs) a long time. I usually just would buy my books, but I'm like, why don't we, we need to support the Calgary Public Library. Yeah. Yeah. What, I'm hoping you could share your favorite quote with us and what the significance is behind it. Yeah, um, my favorite quote, I think, actually, I just heard a really great quote, I have a couple, but I uh, I saw Arlene Dickinson speak um, a few weeks ago, and she, to me, I had never really followed her before, I mean, I, you know, I have her on Twitter, and I'm familiar with her work, and, and you know, Venture Communications, and, and what she's done, but she had said something that really resonated with me during her talk, and I, I think it, you know, we need to give each other a hand up not a hand out and that really resonated with me because you know I feel like I remember the times where I've been given a complete handout and what that did for me and how I may have taken advantage of that but when people had given me a hand up it opened the door to an opportunity rather than a solution that was just given to me and so I thought that was really great and I think this is a Thomas Edison quote, I think. We share the same birthday, so... Oh, really? <laughs> he said something like, um, failure... Oh, I have not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, I love that quote. <laughs> I love yeah. it, too. Because it's it's humorous, but it's also, it's also so true. Yeah. Um, and, you know, through all I've done and sort of this entrepreneurship journey over the last seven years... I've probably, you know, failed 10,000 times or yeah. found 10,000 times that it didn't work. And to, to have optimism around that, I think, is, is important to yeah. keep going. And I think it's Sarah Blakely from Spanx, who I, I listen to a lot, like how mm. I built this and all that. And I think she said that at her dinner table when she was growing up, her father would ask her every day, how did you fail today? To make failure oh not a bad thing, to show that it was part of learning and growing in that, like... You don't yeah. do great things unless you fail. Yeah, and I think yeah. that's really important. And it's really easy, you know, when you quote-unquote fail, um, it's really easy to go down this, like, deep, dark path of I'm not good enough, that didn't work, I should have done this. Mm-hmm. And I, don't, I just feel like shoulda, woulda, coulda. You you know, you have to move on and you have to look past that because it's, it's really easy to go down this downward spiral that's you know not good for you or for anyone around you or anyone that relies on you and so you know you have to think I think as a good leader you have to think uh, past that and ahead of that. So two final questions. Sure. What is the best life advice you've been given or lesson that you've learned? Um, Life advice. My dad used to say he used to say he still does you know I'm supportive of whatever you girls do. I have two sisters and we're a, a really close family. And you'd always say, I'm, I'm really supportive of whatever you girls choose to be when you grow up, but be a professional at it. So he said, if you want to be, you know, a garbage man, be the best garbage man there is. 
and I guess actually I'm sort of, you know, a garbage man <laughs> 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 my food ways. But a professional one. But, a, but the best garbage man, and, you know, and he would say that, and he would always repeat that, and he'd say, you know, if you're going to be a basket weaver, then be the best basket weaver, but whatever you do, and it was sort of like a, you know, don't give up, be the best at it, and learn, it doesn't matter what you want to be, but you have to you have to strive to be the best at it that you can be. And I think that was the simplest and, you know, best advice that, that we kind of grew up with. So, Lourdes, what does it mean to you to live your best life? I, for me, it, it really means chasing what I believe in and, and what I love to do. I think it also means um, to be really brave. There's a lot of women, I think, in particular, that, you know, there's things like the um, the wage gap. There's you know the Trumpification of you know women in society and and how we're viewed. And um, I think you know living your best life means to be brave. And if you have opinions about things and you can share them eloquently and respectfully, then you should. You know I'm still learning how to do that. I am. You know I. I feel like sometimes I'm, you know, the rookie in everything that I do because I've been in industries that are male dominated. I've been the youngest in of boards that I'm a part of and so sometimes it's hard and, you know, difficult for me to raise my hand and lean in as Sheryl Sandberg says, but I think that Leading your best life is about staying true to who you are and, and being brave and knowing your stuff and not being afraid to to tell people what you think. Thank you so You're much. You're welcome. Lourdes. Thank really you very it. much. You guys, wasn't that awesome? I mean, I don't know about you, but I feel like Lourdes definitely has like energy for days and optimism up the yin yang, but she is also just an inspiration when it comes to if you dream it, you can make it a reality as long as you work your butt off. And I'm definitely inspired by her. So if you want to check out the show notes for today, go to girltrieslife.com forward slash podcast forward slash 27, the number 27, where we share links of all the things that we discussed, links to her, um, the different organizations that she runs, and pretty much everything that we discussed can be found at those show notes. If you want to make sure that you do not miss an episode, please subscribe to Girl Tries Life on iTunes and leave a rating and review because that really helps us to find other listeners or for them to find us rather. Now our next interview, which is going to be two weeks from now, actually, I didn't talk about this on the podcast specifically. I actually talked about it on the Facebook group, but I am kind of trying to slow down my schedule a little bit. I was doing weekly interviews and while I would love to keep up that kind of a rate, I work full time. I have a 17 month old that runs around and I've got other projects that I work on as well. So I figured as long as I'm keeping great content coming out, you guys wouldn't mind if we weren't went to every two weeks instead of every single week. There's If you haven't listened to previous episodes, go and catch up on those. And then in two weeks, we will be interviewing Katie Collins, who is a writer of three books, a blogger, and uh, she's pretty much well known in the British media as being the backpacking Bridget Jones. So if you want to know what that means or to find out more, you will have to subscribe to make sure that you don't miss the episode. 
So take care, you guys. And remember that if you want to make your dreams happen, if you want to achieve your goals, it is all about the action and the doing. So really think today and put in action what you want to achieve. I have faith in you. You've got this. Take care. 